Pretty good, God. Pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Hello, it's the Dim to Fail podcast. My name is Tim Dobbs. With me, as ever, through the internet, is Catherine Cogart. Hello, Catherine. Hey, Tim. How's it going? It's going good. Um, let's see. What do I have that's new to share? Nothing. Everything is exactly the same yeah. as it was a week ago. Nothing is different. Really? Uh, yes. Not even your stasis pod hasn't been, you know, redecorated in any way or anything like that? Uh, no, we are firmly out of the holiday season. We are out of holidays for a while. Uh, so we took out the stasis pod decorations. Uh, I guess that's good of you. You don't want to leave them up all year. You really don't. You really don't. Trust and me. My my neighbor's stasis pod is all decorated like with still Christmas stuff and even a few rotting pumpkins, which you'd think they wouldn't it's... rot because, you know, stasis, but... <laughs> Uh, oh, actually, uh, there's a restaurant near where I work where I'm pretty sure they decorate for every holiday. However, they forget to take down the last holiday's decorations, so they just have... It's just like an accumulation of different holidays happening all at once every time you walk in there. <laughs> it's like that uh, that Nexus hub world in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, it's just like that world, but with Thai food. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing that was missing from that movie. Thai food. <laughs> well, Some Rodna. Our topic this week is... Oh no, Catherine, I forgot the topic. Why don't you introduce the topic? Oh, uh, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite soft drink, Moxie Soda. Moxie Soda. That's right. So, Catherine, have you ever had Moxie? I've never had Moxie ever, and I'm looking forward to a detailed account of what it's like. Okay, great. Well, I suppose the first thing we should say is uh, Moxie was the first commercially marketed soft soft drink in the United States uh, since 1884. Um, so just uh, you know, the the post uh, the, the 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 slaves had just recently freed, and everyone was wild for this horrible tasting soda. It was it was a dark <laughs> time, actually. Um, so, so I guess the deal is that soft drinks were basically like a medicine. Is that is that the vibe you get too? Like you know, pre in the eighteen hundreds, soft drinks would be something you would get because your tummy hurts. Yeah, like you have tonic water and ginger beer was originally a medicine for upset tummies because ginger is notoriously good for upset tummies. Yeah, I've heard that too. Why why is ginger good for anything? Hell if I know. <laughs> I've had people say like I, I I was talking to a guy once who was telling me that like yeah you know I'm getting older he was like 30 or something and you know like uh, I, I got a lot of joint pain and um, so to counter that basically I drink ginger tea every day and I said oh um, what's that and he goes well basically you, you warm up water and just boil ginger root in it for like two hours and then you drink that and I said does it help he says I never felt better and so huh. I don't really know what to make of that but I don't know. I feel like uh, ginger would be good at balancing pH. I don't know why I think that. but mm, Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess ginger feels like an acidic thing, but I don't, I, I don't know what the flavonoids in ginger are. I don't know. I know yeah. nothing. I know it's got a lot of fiber because when I try to uh, shred it or grate ginger onto something, I mostly just oh, get ginger strings. Oh, boy. Yeah, don't even get me started on that noise. <laughs> All right. 
I, I will not do so. Oh, good. Okay, good. Excellent. We are agreed. No more ginger talk. <laughs> um, but ginger is definitely, yeah, like ginger ale, ginger beer. I think those have their roots in it. And um, uh, <laughs> roots. Excellent. And uh, something similar would be uh, moxie, which um, has something called gentian root in it, which I've never had in any context other than in the moxie soda. But um, apparently it's a thing. And it gives it its distinctive flavor. Moxie looks sort of like a, a brown cola, uh, like a root beer almost. Except instead of the root being uh, sort of a delicious, uh, I don't know, sarsaparilla kind of taste, it tastes like root beer mixed with Listerine. That sounds okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so in, in 1884, I, I guess they decided, the Moxie company decided, you know what? Um, let's just not, let's not pretend that this is good for you anymore. It's got like 70 grams of sugar per can. Um, let's just call it what it is. <laughs> it's a soft drink. And let's just market the fuck out of it. You know, I um, really admire that though. Like I appreciate that. You don't see that kind of corporate honesty anymore. No, it's true. I, I, I guess because we've already, we've lowered the bar so much. Like, I think we're at a point now where products just tell you this is, you know, you know, I not to go back on uh, this rant that I always go on, but um, it drives me nuts. And because I listen to so many podcasts, I hear I hear the same copy over and over again. Um, your Netflix is yeah. your Hulu's, etc. They talk about binging yeah. on uh, television shows. Now, yeah, we've definitely got how to important a point it where... is to save money for if you're a small business from and thanks to stamps.com, you can. Mm-hmm. No, well, so the thing about. Yeah. You know, the stamps, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know who is leasing a postage meter. It's not me. But the thing that I specifically get at is this, this idea that no longer is anyone trying to tell you anything is good for you except in a niche market. Like that is for, you know, Whole Foods types. And we've gotten to the point now where it is not radical to say, hey, you want a super sweet soda? And people are like, hell yeah, I do. Whereas at that time, it, it was radical when Moxie came out. It was like... um you know what? We are not a medicine. We're not good for you. We won't improve your uh, vivacity. Um, it's just uh, delicious sugar. Well, you know, I think that, that speaks to a shift in culture that happened in the 19th century. Mm. Um, you're sort of shifting from sort of subsistence living into the industrial age where uh, there is time for leisure. There is right. uh, it, it, you're L'Oreal, you're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um yeah, no, I actually, I, I think you're, I think you're really honest. Do you think there's, um, there's something of a status symbol too, in that, you know what, I am, um, I'm paying more for this thing. I'm drinking this horrible soda that is, uh, terrible for me, um, just because I can. Like, you know what, I, I am so, um, so well taken care of in my, uh, life as an office clerk, let's say, around the turn of the century, uh, <laughs> that I can, I can drink Moxie soda. It's, it's fine. Even though my teeth are going to rot, it doesn't matter because I can afford a dentist. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think that's that's something we often forget. There was a time when, mm. like, oh, I can't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. See, it's interesting because there were a lot of other things that were happening. There were other vices, but I think that's that's what it is. Everything that you did that was pleasure, that was personally just good for yourself, that was indulgent, was considered a vice right like things were either uh, no categorized at least in the western culture things were categorized into either productive living or productive 
work or a vice. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you want to hear something really interesting, actually. Um, I, I was reading this book uh, about um, uh, office, the modern office, basically, like where it came from, what, what workplace environments are like. And uh, so in, you know, right around the time of Moxie, <laughs> short, shortly post-Moxie era, um, we became to be uh, more and more a nation of office workers, service workers, uh, people who did not uh, work in the fields or even on the machine floor. Um, and basically, mm -hmm. that's boring work, right? Like, especially especially right when it was turning around. Um, I mean, basically, the job was copy a lot of papers. And, you know, I mean, uh, there's always the old joke, oh, I shuffle papers around. But, like, literally, that's what people were doing for a lot of time uh, in the early office yeah. environment. Um, now we shuffle emails around, which is far more dignified because you don't have to walk anywhere. <laughs> but, sure, uh, yeah. All right. So this is the first time that drudgery becomes like a huge part of, uh, American working life. Um, and like really just boring drudgery. It's not that it's hard. It's that it's boring. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, I think the difference here is like in a manufacturing environment, at least you have the excitement of Joe getting his fingers caught in the machine and now he doesn't have a hand. Well, like kind of no joke though. <laughs> like like kind of you have to be, it's dangerous or it's difficult and your muscles are tired at the end of the day. But, you know, as an office worker, you don't even have those excuses. Like, all right, carpal tunnel, I guess. But other than that, like uh, from the point of view of someone who works the land, it just seems like, why are you complaining? Life is so good. You just sit around. Um, well, I don't know. I have my own opinions about that, but I think that's something we can get into later. What were well, you saying? Sure, sure. So, no, I mean, I think I think that's that's one point of view, and I, I think it is, is far more nuanced. But I think a lot of our cultural opinion about it actually comes out of this one, like, weirdly influential, this one weird trick um, to to change your working environment. Uh, middle managers hate <laughs> To help him. you lose belly fat? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, this is this one, uh, uh, I guess it was an essay. I don't, you know, I don't recall if it was an essay or a sermon, but basically there was a uh, uh, a clergyman who wrote this piece about sort of the honor in drudgery. Um, traditionally, and this is like, I mean, okay, okay, so I have one source on this, so I don't know exactly how true it is, but it had never even occurred to me that this could be a thing. But according to this, this book I'm reading, uh, traditionally, uh, drudgery and work was sort of viewed as man's punishment for the whole Garden of Eden thing. Like, guess what? You shouldn't have done that. Now you get to work the rest of your life. Otherwise, you could just sit around and yeah, eat Yeah, now fruit. you have to farm. Some fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have um, to farm your fruit, or now you have to shuffle the paper so that people will have the money they need to farm the fruit. Right. And this, this is the first time this, this uh, sermon written where basically the guy goes like, no, 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 no. This is, this is um, virtuous. Going in and doing drudgerous work is, is a good thing it's it's like you are you are enacting your um your love for god i guess uh i mean I'm, I'm sure i'm taking it far enough out of context now where maybe that doesn't totally make sense but the idea is this is this is in doing this it is a good thing it's not a punishment this is like the same as praying or what have you this is uh it's a virtuous thing to go into an office and and work um Sure, yeah. I've heard of labor as being called one of the seven virtues to 
Yeah. You know, as a counterpoint to the seven deadly sins. <laughs> well, apparently this was not like really a thing um, in mainstream culture until like early 1900s. Uh, really? Is, that's interesting. Yeah, that's crazy to me. And again, so this comes back to Moxie times um, where, yeah, I wonder if that's, you know, this sort of, oh, man, we're really cracking this consumer culture open because now you're you're working hard and being virtuous. And so you deserve the, um, yeah, consumer goods that you can then purchase from all that drudgery. Mm-hmm. Huh. And yeah, so then Moxie is a, they were, they were a real forerunner here. They were like, drink this gross soda because uh, <laughs> you, you are a virtuous person. You don't need to drink it as medicine to make you virtuous or to make you better. You're already great. Uh, spend your money uh, from your greatness on us. Moxie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, I think we buttoned this one up earlier than usual. <laughs> we sure did. All right. All right. Well, we'll be right back uh, with something else to talk about when we come right back. <laughs> Coming back. Yeah. Well, my baby, baby, let go of the steering wheel. Well, my baby, baby, let go of the steering wheel She said, give me some moxie, you know the way I feel I said, baby, baby, leave the driving to me She said, baby, baby, leave the driving to me And just give me a hit of that M-O-X-I-E And we're back on the Doom to Fail podcast talking about Moxie. Moxie. So, Catherine. Yeah. You say you've never had Moxie. You've heard the description of it. I've Um, never in my life had Moxie. How intrigued are you on a scale of one to ten? How much do you want to try this thing? Uh, seven. Seven, really? So you're you're interested? Yes. How much? Hmm. Okay. Now ask me how much do I want to drink a whole can? How much do you want to drink a whole can? Negative seven. Negative seven. Wow. Yeah. Breaking the scale. Fourteen point difference. Um. Yeah. So the interesting thing about it is, uh, so I came across Moxie because it is the state drink of Maine. And uh, I'm from Connecticut, and there's a grocery store chain called Shaw's uh, that is based in Maine, but has locations in New England. And uh, they carry Moxie because apparently, I don't know, it's it's like the Canadian content regulation. Like, all Maine grocery stores have to carry a certain number of Maine products, I guess. Interesting. Okay, yes. By the way, so I grew up next to the Canadian border. You you know this? Yeah. so uh, that's really why I'm such a big fan of the Bare Naked Ladies is because they played it so much on the radio because the best radio stations you can get by the border are in Vancouver. <laughs> I love this idea that to match the Canadian content regulation, they were like, ah, honestly, the only Canadian that I like are Bare Naked Ladies. I'll just keep playing no. them 20% no, of the time. No, I'm totally serious. It was Bare Naked Ladies and Avril Lavigne. So much. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. What about like Neil Young? Isn't he Canadian? <laughs> Who? Neil Young? I don't know. I don't think Neil Young is Canadian. I think he's super American. Mm. 
You sure you're not thinking of Neil Diamond? I'm pretty sure Neil Diamond actually wears jumpsuits with the American flag on it. Oh, I might be thinking of Neil Diamond, yeah. It seems weird that, like, the Leonard Skinner would be mean to Neil Young if he's Canadian. I don't know. It's just, like, it's common policy not to be mean to Canadians. Oh, yeah, but not if you're Leonard Skinner. I mean, not to be mean to Canadian people, but be mean to Canada as a country. And Mm. Neil Young is Canadian. You're right. Ha. Nailed it. That's... That's American policy. It was uh, it was a fight specifically because uh, Neil Young had that Southern Man song, and Leonard Skinner yeah. did not take kindly to that. You know, I don't know. Ah, it seems. Mm. So Moxie is carried in the Shaw's grocery stores, and I bought it on a whim and drank some, and it was terrible. And then I gave it to my friend, who I uh, would basically eat or drink anything, which kind of sounds stereotypical, but uh, he so really were you sixteen or were you seventeen? Let's say 17. There it is. Let's say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a real, uh, it was a real teen romp of a, f- a film. Hey, drink this soda <laughs> while we play video games. All right. <laughs> That's a modern teen romp film. Drink this soda <laughs> while we play video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty much. I think that's what teens do. <laughs> the video games are getting more and more advanced, but... Uh, Oh, and the, the, the sodas are turning interesting colors. You got your Code Red, your uh, Agent Orange. Uh, your that amp. one's gross. Don't drink that one. Um, Mellow Yellow. Amp. If you're in the South with Leonard Skinner. <laughs> or Fanta. And by the time he finished the six-pack, he agreed it was horrible. But by the time he finished it, he was like, I'm kind of starting to like this. And we started to just keep buying it. And eventually I started kind of to like it, too. It's actually pretty good cold. And apparently there's enough people who feel this way that there is an entire festival in Maine that we went to one time. So I think it, it's a grower is, is the point. So yeah. perhaps you wouldn't want to finish the entire can. But if you did, you might want to finish the third or fourth can after that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, because I, um, I really like foods that grow on you. Mm. Like I have a fondness for foods that taste horrible to most people. And I, I kind of have an insistence that I will like them. I don't know where that comes from. But, like, if someone's like, this is an acquired taste, I'd be like, well, let me get acquiring here. <laughs> what, what are some examples? Like, what else have you uh, tried? Uh, I would say a lot of types of sushi are acquired tastes. You know, oh. like the slimy, like, octopus sushi. That's kind yeah. of an acquired taste. Or, like, eel. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, but eel is so good. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. delicious. Uh, I've acquired I that taste. And I, it's like a status thing to me to be like, oh, yeah, no, I love that weirdo, super soury, spicy weirdness food that's really slimy and gross. And I just love that. I love being that person. <laughs> oh, I mean, do you think it's the same as like with films? Like, you know, well, I know, you know, this whatever deep indie film or whatever. Or, or um, what is that uh, Darren Aronofsky uh, movie you the like? Fountain. Pie? Like, that's a the weird fountain. freaking movie. Yeah. Oh, right? Pie. Yeah. Love yeah. Pie. I mean, do you think it's a similar thing driving you to that? That movie has a scene where the guy finds a brain on a uh, subway platform and then pokes it with yeah. a pencil. And I think yeah. the brain is his brain somehow, um, mm-hmm. or at least it's heavily implied. Uh, yeah. I mean, so do you think the, the brain on the, the subway time. platform is the same as the, the slimy sushi or the weird mushroom or the uh, what have you? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I think it comes from a very... Uh, Going back to teen romps, it comes from a very, like, teenage, insolent place of, like, that's how I rebelled, was I liked weird things. Mm. Yeah, you're In a you're really positive against... way. <laughs> <laughs> I championed things that other people hated. 
Yeah, well, they need love, too. Everything needs love. Yeah. I think that's actually a very common story and maybe one source of this whole hipster movement that happened. Mm. Because the whole aspect of that is champion things that most people hate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think the thing people take issue with, though, is the hating of things that most people like. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, where are you with that? Like, uh, do you like the regular sushis, the California rolls, the, um, I don't know, the, the real pedestrian stuff? I definitely, I definitely was that person at one time, but I don't mm. know. I, in my old age, I'm, I find that I'm mellowing out a little bit. <laughs> that's good. I think that's, maybe it's just because I'm getting older, as we all are. Um, let's stop and remember that briefly. <laughs> good, no, done. we're gonna get older while we stop and remember it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I really think uh, I really think I'm I'm becoming a better person, and, and most people seem to. It's just a really awful time in your twenties, um, late teens, twenties. Uh, you know what? It's all terrible. Forget it. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that you are working through this and and liking more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I still love that Darren Aronofsky movie. I think it's fantastic. It was a good movie. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. The roommate that I watched it with uh, was not interested. He just left. Yeah, yeah. Which roommate was that? Oh, this was going. Your it was a guy who I I, I got introduced, friend of a friend, uh, who eventually moved back to Kansas. Ah, uh, um, nice guy. Yeah, that guy. I remember yeah. that guy. Yeah, he would totally walk out of pie. Um. No, I think my, specifically my thing with Darren Aronofsky is that he, his, all of his films are about things I thought a lot about when I was ages 13 to 16. <laughs> oh, like what? Uh, like his latest film, I'm so glad it didn't come out when I was 16 years old because I would have just never watched another film ever again. Did uh, you make that Noah movie? Wasn't that his latest yeah, film? Yeah. Yeah. Noah, which some people hated and some people liked, which is typical of his films. Mm. Um but the major theme is, do humans deserve to live on this earth? Should they ever really have come down from the trees or out of the Garden of Eden or whatever? And was that was that really a good move? And I spent, like, a lot of time in my teen years considering that question. That sounds like heavy lifting. I was a, I was a thoughtful child. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like it. Um, it's an only child thing. You just, you don't have nothing to do, so you just think about heavy stuff. <laughs> Yeah, a, you don't take up so much time arguing about uh, who gets the, the clicker. Yeah, because it's my goddamn clicker. Yeah, because you own the clicker. You've already, you've already reached peak, <laughs> uh, peak ownership of all the, the silly, petty things children want. You have all the candy you need. Yeah. Time to start it's considering like... <laughs> the deep questions. <laughs> Only children versus like children with siblings. It's the difference between feudal life and uh, a utopia land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's real. It sounds like it was a real <laughs> utopia land over there. I am freed to think of higher pursuits. Mm -hmm. You've turned into a being of pure energy. Your parents ah, must be so proud. Here it is. Someday. Well, and also you don't have to like try to live up to your older sibling who turned into a being of pure energy years ago. Or like it's blue <laughs> energy and the best you can do is green. Like, you know, she'd already started uh, emitting gamma particles at age 14 and you're 15. So we're worried about you. I'm concerned Catherine is falling behind. <laughs> Can we get her, like, some kind of special spectral photometer course or something? Just... Oh, so now I'm on the spectrum. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I don't know. I think we might have a little bit to untangle, and uh, we will do so when we come right back on the Doom to Fail podcast. Yeah. 
that's the stuff. I mean, that is the stuff. It's the absolute stuff for me. And we're back on the Doom to Fail podcast. So, Catherine, what's hey. up? Uh, oh, I was thinking during the last segment while we were dicking around, um, I was thinking about that sermon that you brought up. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I there's I think that defines the American attitude towards office and work life. Sure. But I wonder, because Japan also has like luxuries and things that they buy for themselves and they've also like i guess achieved that sort of uh level of modernization mm-hmm. but they their like attitude towards like office and work life is extremely different from ours and uh what else was i going to say also they don't have like uh sermons or like feelings of punishment from gods to uh deal with Sure, sure. Japan is a is a mainly Shinto slash secular country, right? Yeah, I don't know anything about Shintoism. Uh, I think it's no creator god. I think there's no creator god, and it's mostly just a series of ways to live a good life. But I'm not sure. Okay, yeah. So it's a uh, more of a philosophy than a creation style. Um, sure. Well, yeah, but okay. But I have the impression that Japan uh, has a very hardworking culture. You know, there's the you know you hear the stories about people you know, working until they literally die at their desk, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Oh, uh, okay. So you're saying, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it has to necessarily come out of the mouth of a uh, uh, a clergy person. No, but uh, it's interesting that they have gotten to the same place, mm. clearly through a very different means. It's, it's convergent evolution. Or is it? I mean, Japan, so Japan specifically... Um, when they sort of opened up to the uh, to the West, they specifically sent people around the world to go see what everyone else is doing and like, what should we copy? So, I mean, it's possible that, let's see, that would have been, I think around 1900, my dates could be a little fudged, but as I recall, Roosevelt was president. So yeah, no, I mean, it, it, they could very well have picked up on the same concept as, as it came across. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. <sighs> Now I am fascinated by Japanese history. Oh, okay. That's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> There's a lot to pick out there. There it's true. Yeah. It's a it's an interesting country. So um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so let's cross compare. Um okay. with other non-Moxie having this is an episode about Moxie. Other non-Moxie having countries. Uh you take your France where people, you know, I, I think it's 35 mandated days off. Like the government says you have to take 35 well you don't have to take them off but you, a company has to offer 35 days off yeah um and also i've heard at least two french companies that are global but um the companies are headquartered in france where they do a 980 work uh work week so you work 80 hours over nine days so you get every other friday off basically which isn't uh-huh. the same as working less um but it, it does sort of it, it hints at a greater work-life balance that like sometimes you would want three days off regularly interesting okay yeah um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I guess what we're getting towards is like, there's lots of different ways to look at it, which fine, fair enough. But I, I think we could draw a line that, uh, places where work is considered tantamount also emphasize, uh, almost a larger system, you know, in that, okay, so you got to work so you can provide 
the grist for the the consumerism mill, um, or say in uh, you know People's Republic of China, the whole the whole uh, revolution there, you know, work or you know any communist country, I think work is considered uh, a virtue because the whole thing breaks down if people don't just you know get up and work really hard. Yeah. So I don't know if there's something there. Huh. Yeah. No, it's interesting because I do feel like there's currently there's a couple of cultural shifts happening in Japan that are kind of rebelling against this. Like, I don't know. Are we going to talk about those people who don't move out of their parents' house? The hikamori? Is that what it's called? Yeah. The. I don't necessarily want to get that into that aspect of it, but there's a separate movement of but maybe related movement of Japanese youth that it's a little bit more widespread of people or youth who are not interested in buying expensive cars or getting having extravagant weddings or having a high level of economic or even academic achievement Mm -hmm. uh, because they see the debt crisis and like the huge weight that previous generations have left on their shoulders and they're like oh my life is going to totally blow why should i bother if i work really hard i'm just going to have a slightly better life i guess Mm -hmm. um so it's sort of this rising feeling of apathy that's happening in the youth of japan that i think i've (laughs) read about in like the times and stuff they do call japan the land of the rising apathy (laughs) uh uh, so I don't know. It seems like a counterpoint to this like overworking culture. Well, so this is interesting. I mean, uh, personally, I think I think I I under I feel like I understand a lot of that, and um, I do often feel like, uh, you know, working hard is for chumps, basically. Um, <laughs> or, well, I guess no. I feel more like having a lot of things is not helpful. You know, I don't really need to be a big flashy guy uh, with with nice things conspicuous consumption uh like buying lots of moxie and drinking things that are terrible for me because i can afford the medical bills are not important to me i haven't had moxie in a long time i just enjoy it's uh i enjoy it as a concept um right but and also i I would totally have a moxie if i had one on hand but i don't but i also still have this feeling like i have to work really hard because that is it it, i have to because working hard is how you get things done I don't know. And I, I don't know that that treadmill doesn't seem like something I could get off. Like I, I I'm many sure. considerations. I'm like steps away from considering taking steps to thinking about not thinking I should work really hard and be ambitious in my life. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so in other words, not going to happen. I don't think so, because to me, it, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's just so baked in this idea, uh, the sermon from the 1900s that, yeah, working hard is, is a virtue and it is how you make good things. I don't know. I guess, I mean, you know, uh, a lot of things are awful. Um, and I'm not sure that we've done a great job as a society, but that's because systems are hard. And... I mean, as an engineer, you know, uh, things can go wrong really easy. Like little things can really mess up a big system. But my reaction to that is like, uh, I guess we shouldn't run the system. Let's mothball the plant and just, you know, hang up for the day. My reaction is, oh, we should get in there and like try to pick apart the things that work and, and you know, really right. ramp up the, um, I don't know, the valves and pipes or, you know, whatever. Like, let's figure it out. I, maybe it's just because I like puzzles, too. And I just I sort of think. Yeah, of, I think part of that is the anticipation of the dopamine release you're going to get when you figure out that puzzle. I think maybe that's it. Maybe you think these uh these hikamori have uh dopamine um dopamine inhibition problems. I mean, are you diagnosing them right now? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, people have accused them of 
like broad spectrum uh, autism and like uh, <laughs> wow. like just academic failure. And there's like so many things being thrown at these poor, poor 20 somethings who just don't know how to function in society. <laughs> It's really, I mean, well, yeah, I don't know. That's terrible, terribly, terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, uh, but it's also terribly interesting. That seems like no way to address a, nat- a national problem to me. <laughs> What's that? Uh, just uh, blaming the victim, I guess. Well, I mean, that's that's one take on it. But I, I think w- what we're really seeing is, yeah, like the, the power of peer pressure and how much conforming is important when you've set up a system of, of, of this size and scale where people do work hard to feed this, uh, you know, Lamborghini buying machine. I guess, I guess that's yeah. what it is, right? I mean, yeah, I, uh, I don't think of the world as a Lamborghini buying machine. I think that's part of how I do it. I mean, I tell myself some lies to get up in the morning. I'll be honest. <laughs> and yeah, I think a part of it is just working for a long-term cause. I mean, this is how I deal with life and how I keep my ambition up is I work for a cause that I believe in, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's how I get through life. And yeah, that is what is weird to me about ap- apathetic people, no matter what country they're from, is that they don't seem to have like a have a cause that they're championing. And that's weird to me. Right. Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, I feel I feel similarly. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm one to wind down and overthink things until it's hard to figure out where the meaning is anywhere in it. Yeah, I know. But I still have that. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think this is something we share for once is that, uh, <laughs> you know, like, l- let's work to make things better, you know, wherever that cause may be. And yeah, I don't know. I guess that's that's, that's what I find strange. And I wonder if, if, I don't know, the populace at large is really like that. This is one of these weird situations where you start to just feel like, do I understand other people? But, you know, if, if they really are just, yeah. you know, cogs in a Lamborghini buying machine or, or a Moxie buying machine or whatever it may be. Or if, uh, I don't know, I guess I just assume everyone else is working for your cause. Um, <laughs> and it's, it seems strange to all. me for these people to, uh, you know, apathetic uh, people who, you know, whatever. Uh, wear boxy sweaters and won't leave the house. Now I'm mixing it up with Normcore, but um, <laughs> whatever. It's all a New York Times trend piece. Um, I, it seems strange to me that they just assume everyone else is looking to just purchase things or uh, perpetuate some system that isn't working. I think that's such an assumption. I think that's a really faulty assumption. I think more and more people are interested, and maybe this is just talking to young people and talking to old people, and old people have are cynical now, but... I I don't actually think that's the case. I think that more and more people, specifically, I talk to a lot of engineers. And so in the past, and like historically, engineers have not been interested in solving world problems. They have been interested in designing the box. And then Mm -hmm. goodbye. I've designed the box appropriately. Okay, done. Um, But I think I meet more and more engineers and see more and more engineers who are interested in seeing how they contribute to the bigger picture and wanting to be mindful about how they do that. Right. Uh, And I I guess maybe I don't know why I feel that way, but I do feel that way. And I think that's why I feel like we're not in a Lamborghini buying machine. We're in a, a society progressing machine and we're all working together to figure out which direction do we want to take this society. Yeah, no, that's that's a lovely sentiment. So you're saying that we've all moved beyond the moxie buying stage and. We're sort of uh, circling back to maybe maybe we just want to boil the gentian root in a pot because that's what's good for us. 
and we don't necessarily need to show off with all with all the sugar. Or maybe maybe <laughs> we need something in between. Maybe maybe what we're finally starting to do is stop looking for the answers in a drink. But maybe not. Yeah, I think uh, that's what we're moving towards. We're not looking for answers in cars or nice houses. We're looking for answers within ourselves and with each other. Sure. In in the way that we share the moxie. Yes. Perfect. Among good friends. Well, I've been glad to share this podcast about Moxie with you, and I, I hope our listeners have been glad to share it as well. And until next week, that's Catherine Kilgard over there. Tim Dobbs right over here. Bye. Bye-bye. Ooh, ooh, ooh.